How many more banks could he allow to fail? That's a significant crisis, dude. So there's three steps to a Fed pivot, right? You have stage one is during you know the raise of the rates. Stage two is when they hold. And stage three of the pivot is when they finally start to cut. So mm-hmm. if June hits, we're finally in stage two. So if you want to look at something on the bright side, okay, we've now cleared stage one. We've now hit stage two. And it's only a matter of time until we hit stage three. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. There's no music. I'm dancing my head, No, there's there's nothing playing. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to another world-famous episode of the number one financial literacy podcast, The Higher Standard. Thank you for recognizing. Game recognized game, brother. Yeah. Gang gang. Gang gang. Wow, we pounded it. We did. I love pounding him. Yeah, I know you do. That's why I gave it to you. If you were watching this on YouTube, and I recommend that you do, Mm -hmm. you're going to see we've made some upgrades. A little bit. Studio has gone from Coco sexy and slightly off in lighting Mm -hmm. to what I like to call rock star shit. (laughs) I feel like I'm being interrogated. (laughs) There are a lot of lights in here. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, in our ever- Ever, ever continuing pursuit of greatness. We have uh, we've decided to make some upgrades. We were not happy with the video quality production that came out. And now, hopefully, we'll get there. The next thing on the agenda will be the audio, getting the audio and the video podcast up to what you guys are used to hearing whenever you tune in on all the streaming platforms like Apple and Spotify. Yeah, and those are the platforms that you should have left an honest five-star review on. And if you haven't, it's okay. Just go ahead and roll on over to YouTube, subscribe. And then leave your honest five-star review on the streaming platforms. Uh, do you think people notice that we comment and reply to each comment? I think you, by we, you mean me. You, so you haven't noticed. I haven't noticed that you haven't noticed that you're not doing it. Mm. Yeah. Can we get to the show? Yeah. All right. So we're going to hit some high points this week and try to get through as much of a massive amount of information as possible. This is a really good pivotal week in the economy because what we're seeing here is a pivot from, I think, a banking focus focus now to debt ceiling focus. Mm-hmm. But there's also some things happening internationally which are really, really important. We're going to talk about Argentina. Man. Uh, shit's going down. <laughs> yeah. Shit's hitting the fan. Shit is hitting the fan indeed. Then we're going to talk about consumer debt, obviously passing a, a, a notable milestone. Mm-hmm. And what this might mean for you. In the interim time, while all of us were freaking out about what was going on in the banking sector, some savvy investors think Michael Burry and Warren Buffett 
we're buying up on the low. Like we've always said on the show multiple times that even though some of this news is bad, it does not mean that it is not a good opportunity to make money. You just have to be willing to go against the grain at the right time. Absolutely. Then we'll round out the show with some of uh, our usual segments. Said loves trashing crypto, so we're going to go ahead and ta- <laughs> dabble into a little bit of that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, how U.S. households show signs of stress as new delinquencies rise. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Said and I will sing a cappella at the end. Will we do it? You'll have to tune in and see. What? This is news to me. You're going to be singing. I'm just going to be laughing. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Let's go. <laughs> So let's kick things off with uh, a question that I think Said and I get a lot. I mean, how many times do you get people DMing you or messaging you uh, saying, hey, man, uh, do you have a good book to recommend on all this stuff? I don't really understand. Yeah, all the time. It happens literally all the time. And of course, here, put down some good recommendations. So um, I actually know the first one. I didn't know the other two. Your vibe is off tonight, dude. Vibe check. Dude. Dude. Your vibe is off. <laughs> you, is something, what's going on with you? We'll talk about it on the what's show. Let's go. Being interrogated with all these lights. The if, lights throwing if, you off? If only people could see. Actually, I'm going to post it on the story so people can see. Well, the lights don't bother me as much. It's all like the mess that we got going on here because we went from like a clean, flawless studio to like yeah. fucking wires everywhere, man. Wire management is a little. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to fix this. Yeah, it's a little it, sus. This is, this, is a, uh, this is a fire hazard. <laughs> <laughs> But hopefully it looks good. So, you yeah. know, there you go. Right. All right. So book number one, The Federal Reserve, What Everyone Needs to Know by Stephen H. Axelrod. Mm-hmm. This book is spectacular for a number of reasons. It gives you kind of the baseline of how the Federal Reserve System is supposed to work and a little bit of history in how things got to why they work that way. Right. It doesn't go through, obviously, what's going on today, but it gives you enough of a background for you to go, hmm, okay, so this is how it's supposed to work. Is it really working that way? Right, and what their function is, right? What their function is. So, and the reason why this is important for those of you who might be going, okay, well, why the, why the hell do I care? A lot of people might have a degree in economics or a degree in accounting, but they don't necessarily uh, they don't necessarily understand how the Federal Reserve specifically is supposed to work in the history of how we got there. Absolutely. So, the second one that I'm going to recommend is Modern Money Mechanics. This is a workbook, believe it or not. Not like when you were in school and you had to take it home and you know get crayons and color with mommy and daddy. Although, yeah. Sai's been doing a lot of that lately. My kids, favorite. Yeah, yeah. Kids, exactly. They're at that age. This one is the uh, actually published by the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago themselves. They offer it in paperback. I think there was an audiobook at one point in time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, great book. Paperback, only eleven fifty on Amazon. Yeah, not bad. Steal. See, we're, we're trying to think of, of everyone here. Right, okay? absolutely. We're not just throwing out big dollar books. Mm-hmm. Smaller dollar books too. And Kindle too. By the way, have you ever been a fan of a Kindle? No. And I tried reading off my mom's once. Just not 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 good for me. No. Although I have read on an iPad. It's weird. So the third book, uh, which was actually not my recommendation. I actually saw this on of all of all pages on Baller Buster's page. I took a screenshot of it mm-hmm. because I wanted to read it and I ultimately ultimately wound up reading it. And I thought it was so super important for what's happening today. Mm-hmm. And and they, their comment on this was nobody's going to read it, read this, but nerds like like me. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I'm a nerd. I'm going to read it too. Yeah. It's called The Volcker Rule. The Volcker Rule. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a- uh, Referencing former Fed secretary. Yeah. Paul Volcker. Paul Volcker. Commentary and analysis. So basically his commentary and analysis on the rules that he put in place, obviously Paul Volcker being very, very famous for causing the double dip recession in the 80s. Right. And is a huge influence on Jerome Powell. Right. And hopefully, uh, I mean, this isn't so economically friendly. Paperback, 200 bucks. 
Okay, well, I mean, it wasn't my recommendation. For oh. me, okay, so <laughs> no, but we're, you're recommending it now. Yeah, I'm recommending it now because I mean, it, it, it's a good book. Yeah, but I should say I got this on audiobook, and it mm-hmm. was way easier to read. Like Ray Dalio's Principles. Right. I could never. Have you ever seen how big that book is? No. It is fucking massive. Really? Yeah, it's intimidating. But I got an audio book and I listened to it over the course of like a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not overstating. Well, it's a long. Give, given the time that we're in now and how Fed Secretary Jerome Powell is constantly citing Paul Volcker, I mean, definitely worth a listen or read. Yeah, I mean, if you had to read any one of these three books, and you said, Chris, which one am I read? Read the first one. Yeah. Read about how the Federal Reserve System is supposed to work. I think that one's going to be. Or listen to the Higher Standard Podcast. Yeah, and you know what, Stephen A. H. Axelrod might be a published author, might be an you know, economist, whatever, but. Mm-hmm. They're not Nobel Prize winning laureates to be like scientists. Right. Yeah. I so, mean, maybe someday. When you grow up? Yeah. No, him. Stephen H. Axelrod. Axelrod. He's, not, a, worth, he's not worth you remembering. His what name. a name. Axelrod. Start off early tonight, huh? <laughs> we go we going right into it. I mean, it just, <laughs> some, so some of them the, are meant just for you, bro. I just you, want you to know. You like, got to point out every single one. You don't have the deposition threats that I do. Like when people actually write this stuff out and then ask you to read it back in like yeah. a courtroom setting, it's very <laughs> awkward. No, no, he meant he meant what you thought he meant. Yeah, Mister Hebe, did you did you realize that he was referencing a male organ when he said that? No, oh my God, he was yeah, what? Why would you think that? Why was he doing that? No, I I have to rethink my entire relationship with a man now, <laughs> like rethinking uh, your entire currency. Oh, a decent segue. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. So in Argentina, according to Bloomberg, things have gone from bad to worse. The, I had no idea that this was going on, by the way. Oh, I, I knew it was bad. Didn't they switch? I mean, everyone can look this up while we're talking about it. But did, I think they switched at one point in time. They tried like the Bitcoin pivot. No, no, no that was El Salvador. Was El Salvador? Okay, so maybe. Uh, yeah. Argentina, okay. So the monetary authority in Argentina will raise its benchmark rate by 600 basis points. For the record, we've increased it 525 basis points. Yeah. They're doing it at a single time. Yeah. yeah. 600 points. Like, hey, guys, guess what? In June... Yeah. You know what? I think instead of holding rates in, in the United States, we're going to go up 600%. Yeah. <laughs> and why why mess around with this little stuff, 25, 50, you 75? Know, let's just go straight. Let's nickel and dime it. So I guess the natural question is, why the hell would they do this? Well, they're going up 600 basis points to 97% on Monday while boosting intervention in the foreign exchange market, right. the official said, mm-hmm. asking not to be named before measures are formally announced by the economy's minister, Sergio Massa. Right. So yeah. this is all happening because why? Well, because they have inflation problems. Massive, I mean, massive I feel inflation, like inflation problems. Inflation problems is an understatement. Well, inflation sped up to 109% as currency weakens before the election. So that sounds shockingly familiar. Yeah. Like in the United States, in November of 24, we will have an election. Mm-hmm. And when we do, this all financial, uh, the whole financial climate, uh, economic policy that led us here, inflation, how the Fed has handled things, these will all be fodder and you will hear it all over the the election commentary. Right. And this actually led me down like a dark rabbit hole because I had to look up right, who else, I mean, is experiencing inflation and in food to this magnitude. Apparently, Lebanon, 350%. Wow. Year over year. That's crazy. That's fucking, I mean, so people are surviving off of, uh, they're calling them soup banks. So they're just eating soup to get by. It's fucking depressing, man. I, there, there's so much culture that, that, that you are unaware of when you make that statement. Yeah. That it's, it's, I almost feel bad for you. What do you mean? Bro, it's Lebanon, man. It, it's, it's, they've had tremendous poverty there. There's been uh, I mean, no, but fighting for 
no, I get decades. it. No, no, that that I know, but they've also had plenty of good times too. And yeah. I actually know people that would travel there on the summers to Lebanon. Yeah, they, I mean, it's got to be expensive as hell now. Apparently, they had a, at one point in time like a great nightlife and everything. But um, their president Alberto Fernandez, I thought this was worth mentioning. In Lebanon? Uh, no, in Argentina. See, terrible. See, if I didn't clarify that for you, yeah. you would have looked like you were talking about Alberto Fernandez as Lebanon's president? <laughs> no, no. So apparently he came out recently the other day and was like, uh, by the way, guys, um, this problem that we're going, going through right now, yeah, I won't be running for re-election. Good call, Alberto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they went, so they went to the vice president. Yeah, no, me neither. Also a good call. Yeah. yeah. Opposing party? You know what's interesting? Is lead it, candidate for the opposing party? Yeah, me too. I'm not. When was the last time you saw our vice president? <laughs> That's not a political statement. Who that? I'm just saying, like, Kamala Harris. Oh. I think the last time I may have seen her in public was when she got elected. I feel like the only times I have seen her are, like, on those late night talk shows. I haven't seen her late night talk show, but are you up late, 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 late often like that? I don't really watch late night talk shows. No, no, no. I mean, I just see the clips on YouTube. It comes across the feed. Arun, does that sound kind of sus to you too? No, dude. Who watches TV anymore? Who watches YouTube for clips of the president on late night television? No, it comes across the feed. That's what your feed entails. And, and my feed entails a lot of things. Saeed's, Saeed's not on social media. He's on YouTube, so he gets a lot of the shorts on YouTube. Just he gets everything. From a lot YouTube. of the abbreviated, smaller content. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For the petite content, if you will. I mean, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fitting. You can digest it. <laughs> Very much so. This truncated commentary. <laughs> the below average attention span, if you will. Wow. Wow. I mean, you're the villain, dude. I feel like I'm just clarifying the point. Yeah. All you right. Know? All right. Well. Uh, it, By, also, keep in mind, Argentina last year borrowed $44 billion from the International uh, Monetary Fund. IMF. IMF, yeah. IMF. 44 man. billion. And then they had a spike in inflation. They're like, yeah, well, we're probably going under. Well, at least their debt isn't at an absolute historic high. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, according to CNBC, consumer debt passes $17 trillion for the first time, not in Argentina, in the United States, everybody. I mean, are these real numbers? Like, I feel like every seventeen trillion every month, every quarter, we're just citing these new large numbers, new record. And you're just like, what the fuck, man? Do these numbers even mean anything anymore? Arun, you want to give us one of your bah, 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 bah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? <laughs> I just I just picture them bam 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 <laughs> with the finger guns. Yeah, I'm doing it for the YouTube. Oh, come on, man. Come on now. Total consumer debt hit a fresh new high in the first quarter of 2023, pushing past $17 trillion, even amid a sharp pullback in home borrowing. The mm. total for borrowing across all categories hit $17.05 trillion, an increase of nearly $150 billion, or 0.9%, if you like smaller numbers, during the January to March period, the mm. New York Federal Reserve reported on Monday. Mm. That took total indebtedness up about $2.9 trillion from the pre-COVID period ending in 2019. Mm. That increase came even though new mortgage originations, including refinancing, totaled just $323.5 billion, the lowest level since the second quarter of 2014. Something that I thought was really uh, telling about this was how, so they broke it down into all the different categories. and. 
credit card debt actually stayed stagnant. And on, on its face, you're like, oh, okay. So wait, we've been hearing all these people not yeah. being able to afford things and they're charging stuff on their credit cards just to get by. So, but credit card debt remains stagnant. No, no, no. So what typically happens is people rack up all their credit card debt by the end of the year. Holidays. Yeah. Holidays. And then usually beginning of the year, they start to pay that down. Maybe they get their bonuses. They start to pay down some of their debt. So for the first, this is the first time in 20 years it's remained stagnant. It always drops down. Hmm. Great observation on your part. Yeah. But that was also in the article, so. No, no, I did more digging than your CNBC article. Did you? Wow, that was actually, my CNBC that was That was actually from The Hill, I think. I'd like to point out that that was a solid catch from me. Yeah. You know, me catching you, you cheating. Can, what? You know you got that from the article, bro. No, I didn't. I didn't get this from the article. From the know. Instagram post? I didn't read it. I only no. read Instagram now. <laughs> so much more digestible. <laughs> yeah. I can only take in so much. Yeah. I mean, you could take it a lot. Take it a lot. I like leaving you in awkward silence. It's, it's like leaving you on red. <laughs> So as we hinted at the top of the show, Michael Burry loaded up on bank stocks during the financial, uh, during the banking crisis, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention, this is a terrible photo of anybody, but I think maybe he just maybe he just has to fart or something and pass gas. It's a, <laughs> he honestly, it's a very bad photo. He, honestly, he doesn't care. He, he looks very somber. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you're, if you're going to pose for a photo that's going to make the rounds on social media talking about how right. you made or lost money, in this case, he did a little bit of losing money too. Uh, I would just say you would want like a little, you know, smile, maybe just a little bit, right? I, I thought it was very interesting that he actually did this, and I wanted to actually get your opinion on it. But go ahead. Oh, so he wasn't alone. Warren Buffett did the same thing. For some reason, this caught the attention of the media. There was only like one or two articles I saw today on on, on Warren Buffett, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of vest- investors that have been uh, kind of doubling down in the banking sector now. Right. So let's give everybody a little quick refresher on who Michael Burry is. He was uh, famously known for predicting the 2008. Uh, housing uh, crash and uh, actually made a lot of money on it. He was actually portrayed by who uh, who played him in the movie The Big Short? Uh, Topher, no, uh, it wasn't Topher Grace. It was um, I can't remember. You know, I don't um, know. But one, why, of, why one, of, one of the one of the main characters in in, uh, in The Big Short, and he runs a very very successful hedge fund, Scion Capital. You, you could just read the actual quote from Wikipedia that everyone pulled up for you, so. To- Make you look smart. Wikipedia, you trust this source? This is one of your trusted sources now, I see, huh? Yeah, I like Wikipedia. Yeah. I think just like um, like famous economic scenarios, like Milton Friedman, Friedman mm-hmm. had alluded to, yeah. that left up to their own, most consumers will write a pretty accurate bio. Mm, ah, Christian Bale. Christian Bale played him. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I see that now. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. I mean, damn, he came up with Christian Bale. Yeah, he does. Christian Bale can do a good RBF. It could have, yeah. Homer Simpson. Yeah, he has a resting bitch face. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> All right. So fame short seller Michael Burry took big stakes in regional banks during the first quarter. Mm-hmm. That's January, February, March for you kids out there. Right. During the first quarter, including the failed lender First Republic before it was bought by J.P. Morgan. Now, uh, a little fun fact there. That investment gets wiped out entirely. Exactly. Yeah. He gets a big fat donut there. Yeah, because depositors get made whole first. His hedge fund, Zion uh, Asset Management, snapped up 150,000 shares worth about $2 million mm-hmm. at the end of the first quarter, according to regulatory filings. And I should point out that actually this week, uh, and I think in some cases today, uh, you had a lot of those mandatory regulatory filings of people who took positions in companies like this, and that's how this is making the rounds. It wasn't like he went out and 
told everybody. So today, right. I think I believe it, it is the 15th of Monday, the 15th of May. Yes. A lot of these filings came out and you got to see this. So that's why the news is reporting on it. These people went out there going like, hey, guys, look at the rest of this money. Right. Uh, so as these filings came out, big notable names like Michael Burry's firm, Scion came up, but you saw mm-hmm. Warren Buffett's firm come up and people were like, oh my God, these people took positions in bank, which sounds right. counterintuitive. Why would you take a position in a bank amongst this contagion fear crisis when banks are trading lower and lower? And we know that short sellers in some part are driving some of these prices down. Right. Well, um, the answer is simple. Uh, okay. I want to hear it. I got, a, I got a theory too. Do you know? Yeah, but I want to hear yours first. It's not a theory, brother. I know the answer. Okay. Tell me the answer. Don't give me this sarcastic, like, your answer is whatever answer. <laughs> no, your answer is the answer. Wow, you're going to sass me on live on, on no, live podcast I'm, now? I'm on live. This ain't live. Why are you lying to the it's people? It's a live podcast. Yeah. Okay. For us. You're really showcasing why you're still the villain. <laughs> Did you, is it, you upset about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's finish this off, and then I'll give you my, my explanation here. Okay. okay. So, shares of the struggling regional bank had fallen more than 97%, this again, First Republic Bank, this mm-hmm. year before it was seized by J.P. Morgan. Uh, in a government brokered deal on May 1st. So seizure, wipe out stakeholders, assets that are remaining, sold to J.P. Morgan. So he gets nothing for that investment, nil. Why would he take the risk, right? Right. That's not the only regional bank he bought, though. And the, you head to the link in the bio here for the Bloomberg Business article, and it gives you all the information. Now, yeah. this is what they did. Is they The investors like them said- I actually had said, that too, by the way. What's Pac- the article? PacWest, uh, of his portfolio, PacWest makes up about 2.3%, mm-hmm. and Western Alliance makes up 4.2%. Two of the largest names are being dragged down in the media. Which we've been covering on the show. Right. And his position is, is look, look, let's say the tangible book value uh, for PacWest is $20 a share. Okay. I don't know what their actual tangible book value is right now. Who cares? Okay. Let's say they're trading at $5 right now. They're actually trading below that last I checked. Yeah. Or maybe. PacWest? Yeah, what are they trading at today? I'll tell you right now. So let's say they're trading at below $5 a share. I have $5.35. Okay, there you go. And let's say you buy them today. If they trade back up and they survive, the odds are they're going to get close to or at their tangible book value at least four times right. what you paid for them. Right. So let's say he buys $2 million of First Republic, $2 million of you know, a couple other banks, $2 million you know, spread across Fargo all was in there. He also had a community bank in New York. Yeah. So what he's trying to do is get three, four X his money on at least one or two of those, and it pays for all of his losses and then gives him three, four X gains. Absolutely. Yeah. But this goes to show you that the fear now is not necessarily the same as when it was a couple months ago when everyone's like, oh, my God, all these banks are going to fail. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the most brilliant financial minds in investing right. are now betting on these companies being around and recovering. Yeah, and I think it all can be contributed to the fact this is why it's really important to stay in tune with um, all the reports that come out and being able to read the tea leaves on what the Fed's going to do next and listening to the higher standard and I mean, all of that. So if, if mostly he, listening to the higher standard, mostly, obviously, yeah. if you, if he truly believes that the Fed is going to halt, you know, the rate hikes and do a full pause, then perhaps he thinks after that, maybe some of the bank stocks will start to recover. Because now, okay, maybe because we've said it, we've said it before on the show. The that, optimism, the perceived optimism, the behavioral economics, the human portion of it. Yeah will start to kick in and go, okay, I feel comfortable that the bad times are over for the banks. I'm going to invest in them. But these guys wanted to get in before right. the general public did. And not just that, though. We've said before, the pain for the banks is is in the rise of the rates. Once they stop, it's on the consumer at that point. 
Mm. So whatever banks are still around, we've said on the show, they'll be in, they'll they'll be fine. They'll be in good shape, and perhaps they'll start to recover. I don't know how long. I don't know if they get back to their true tangible uh, book value, but um, that that was the theory that I had on it. And the reason why this is coming out, like you said, um, he's not coming out and saying this is what I'm investing in, guys. Right? He's he's also very much aware that he's required to report what he invests in. I think what I looked up is that that um, hedge funds are typically required to register with the SEC if they maintain investor assets of more than a hundred million. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but I wanted to do a little bit deeper dive on hedge funds and what are your thoughts on them? Um, are they risky? Um, just your general thoughts on hedge funds. I've been noticing a trend of you wanting to go deep all night tonight. Oh, man. <laughs> and I respect your willingness to take on more information. I just know what I'm capable of, you know? Yeah, and you know what? And and not all people are willing to stretch themselves that thin. <laughs> he's he's that, been slowly getting deeper. He, ha- he has been, right? I mean, yeah. when he started, he wasn't capable of doing that, but he had to really loosen... <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I tried. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's too easy. <laughs> hedge funds hedge funds do carry a certain degree of risk, hence the reason why Silicon Valley Bank went down, right? They take mm-hmm. speculative positions that are generally inherently more risky than other people would, but they basically take larger bets uh, on risk to take bigger returns. Right. They have a concentrated investment strategy. Yeah. Uh, venture capital, private equity, a lot of them play the same type of investment games. Hedge funds, however, have a little bit more of a stigma and uh, a uniqueness to them. They operate so many different ways. Some of them are algorithmic trading. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, are, are effectively micro-investing, but they're taking a bunch of money in, mm-hmm. and they're all trading in in a proprietary way, usually proprietary way. Right. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they can make some pretty significant swings and returns. Now, there are... Hedge funds that mm-hmm. really suck, right? Um, Kathy Woods, right? She has a hedge fund, doesn't she? Arc, Arc Investments. Yeah, yeah. She- <laughs> but, damn. What? Kathy Wood catching strays. Hey, man. <laughs> Bro, you've you've taken shots at her every every chance you you've know what? Okay, look. Okay, I I understand what this is going to sound like. It's going to sound like hate. This is not hate. Okay. This 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 is what this is. This is truth. The oh, painful yeah. truth. Right. All right. This woman has been all over CNBC. I don't know. I don't like the way who, you're flexing your Travis Scotts at me. I'm the flexing the shit yeah, out of my you, Travis Scotts. You're pointing Scott's that shit right yeah. at me. I'm putting, my, I'm putting my chucks over here on the other yeah. side. Get them shits away from me. I'm sorry, my <laughs> shit. Get them shits. Yeah, um, I licked the bottom of these for the show. I'm not going to lie. They're sexy. Yeah, actually, I like the, all the other ones I like better. Okay. I, I, so I bought these. They got to the house, and we the same weekend, they literally were delivered my door the same weekend mm-hmm. on Saturday. Yeah. Right? Outside my door, I'm waiting to go home and pick them up. And we're in a, we're at the Irvine Spectrum. We're just going into a movie. My wife goes, huh, I like the yellow ones better. Because <laughs> they had the yellow ones there. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? I asked you, yellow or brown? You said brown. She's like, yeah, I was wrong. This is how arrogant you are now. What? Fucking randomly coming into the studio with Travis Scott's, just walking around like it's no big deal, acting like this is just, this is just what well, You're the one with the 100, 100 grand from the Federal Reserve and bread behind you. <laughs> this is, this is one of the coolest props of all time. We the artist that. is Daniel Allen Cohen. He's a stud. He, he's, been uh, on, he's been on the show. Been on the show. Uh, BS before Saeed. Yeah, oh yeah, B- BS before Saeed. Yeah. Brilliant artist. This is one of the many pieces, uh, a sculpture, if you will, right. that he's he's put together. We actually have some pieces that we're putting up in the studio that are yeah. uh, very high end. Right. Not real. Don't come rob us. 
Yeah, this is not real money in here. Well, it depends. If we're influencers, then that's real. <laughs> if we're not influencers, right. then that, yeah, it's not right. real at all. Right. Um, but that being said, uh, yeah, Ark and Kathy Wood are all over CNBC, and they 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 constantly ping her for her input. And I'm sitting here going like, dude, she's been down so goddamn much the last two years. Right. At what point do you start saying, you know what? Maybe we should get somebody else's opinion. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should get someone who's got a W lately. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But I, just, I don't understand. I, you know what it was? It's it, it goes back to what you say in general about everyone that was investing the last you know decade. You know, last yeah, congratulations, you crushed it. We all won. Yeah, now it's hard, and guess what? Yeah. Some of y'all taking L's. Some. Yeah, well, not yeah. not everybody. Handing out L's. But Although Tudor has an opinion we'll hear about later on directly from him about where this goes. Don't, this guy don't, is such don't, a baller, by the way. I, I looked up some of his interviews, listened to him. I was like, I love it. Yeah, very low-key baller, not yeah. high-key. Yeah. <laughs> low-key baller. Low-key baller. Yeah. But um, the other thing to point out with, with hedge funds, they tend to cater to high-net-worth individuals. Right. So there's that stigma. Well, they, they need well. people who are willing to take big bets on risks. Yeah. And they tend to require you to hold your money in there for longer. So you word stuff like that on purpose and you get yourself in trouble. <laughs> they require a long term financial commitment, you dirty birdie. They like to hold. Hold it in there for longer. Dock it. Yeah, there it is. I knew it was coming up at least once an episode, <laughs> every episode, like clockwork. There's a docking <laughs> reference. Got to. And someday. We're going to have some poor soul Shame on everybody. that up. Shame on everybody for not re- replying to my stories and saying, I, I got the reference. Everybody. I don't think there's anybody who actually follows you. <laughs> no idea. It's, it's a ghost account. It's, it's a ghost account. All right. So before we play this clip, there was an article from CNBC, which, which I, I found in this clip, which references the billionaire hedge fund manager, Paul Tudor. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to listen to the whole thing, but I got to tell you, it was, it was kind of an intriguing listen. I listened to the whole thing. Yeah, it, I mean, it went on for a little bit longer than I wanted to. We're going to play it for you all so you guys get to hear it. Mm-hmm. But billionaire hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones believes the Federal Reserve has finished raising interest rates in its fight against inflation. Yeah. And the stock market could grind higher this year. Yep. That's right. He thinks it's going to go higher. The central bank has raised interest rates 10 times since March 2022, taking the Fed funds rate to a target range of five to five and a quarter percent, the highest since August of 2007, also around the time of a little thing we like to know as the Great Recession. Yes. So the consumer price index has cooled considerably since peaking out at around nine percent in June of 2022. That's the only messaging I didn't like. The gauge eased to 4.9% in April. Why not? I mean, cooled considerably. Okay, so overall it's down to 5%, but core is up. I mean, when you're when core inflation is higher, that's, it's, I mean, what are we doing? Again, I mean, so here's the problem. There's a, there's, a, there's a really challenging conversation I need to have with you, okay? Yeah. I mean, Paul Tudor Jones. Manages $13 billion in assets. And he himself is a billionaire. I mean- what, just because I'm not a billionaire, I don't you're have- a laureate. Okay, <laughs> yeah, you have a different perspective. Yes, yours affords you poverty, <laughs> while his his affords him <laughs> riches beyond belief. Right. So uh, I'm not saying that you're not right. Yeah, I'm just saying if I had to be someone's friend, it'd be him. Come on, man, you choose Paul over me. This guy, hey, bro. This guy looks like he doesn't know how, how to have a good time. He looks like he had a great time and just threw his tie on for a photo. Yeah. Eight years later, he founded Robin Hood Foundation, which focuses on poverty reduction. So look, he's looking out for you. 
Not Poverty be, reduction. Not, not to be confused with Robinhood, the investing platform. Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a foundation. As of April 2022, his net worth was estimated at seven point three billion. Just seven point three billion higher than you. Or me. <laughs> yeah. Or me. Yeah. <laughs> so he says that if we do in fact get a pause in June, he says the playbook is very easy on how this plays out and what you can expect to see. He was very laissez faire in the interview. He was like, meh, this is what happens. I mean, I feel like if I had seven if I was worth seven billion dollars, I would be too. The level that he did not give a fuck in the interview was, was, was palpable. Like, this shit doesn't affect me like it affects you guys. He's like, yeah, I don't I don't really I don't really think it's a big deal. You guys care about this? I mean, inflation might be like 9% of what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Like, come on. We know it's more than 9%. Yeah. You know, come on. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't care. He don't Barun, care. He play said, that funky music, white boy. Oh, yeah. Or not. That's fine. Too. I actually want you to react a, a little bit to this Austin Goolsby uh, interview and some of his comments. I'm curious where you think uh, interest rates will go, should be. What do you think? I think they've done hiking. I'm so glad I don't have his job because listening to these guys try to not say what they really want to say and what they really what think. What do you think he really wants to say? Oh, he wants to say we're done, we've gone too far, and enough's enough. That's, that's what he wants to say. He just can't say that because he's new, on, he's new on the board and he has to follow the chairman. But that's what he wants to say. And what do you want to say? If you're I, I think board. he's right. I think they're done. You think they are done? Oh, definitely. I think they're done. I mean, they could probably declare victory now. Because if you look at CPI, it's been declining 12 straight months. 12 straight months. That's never happened before in history. So there's a strong downward arc to inflation at the moment. Two-year break-evens are under 2%. Clearly, they have to be governed by trailing 12-month inflation. But if we get to the here and now, you can see that inflation, to a great extent, has been wrung out of the market. Now, does that mean that we're getting ready to imminently cut? No. But you got to think of interest rates a bit like chemo. So chemo, chemotherapy, chemo right. is poison. Interest rates with the kind of amount of sector-wide debt that we have between private consumer and the government, we're probably at levels where we've typically hit a recession in the past because of the interest tax on the economy. So we're at a level right. that historically has really slowed the economy and historically has kicked off a recession. I think it's just a question of waiting for that tax on the economy to work its way Mistake through. Mistake then for them to raise interest rates? Would have been a jump ball for me. I would have been 50-50 on the last one. I could have been talked out of it. I would have been reluctant to do it. The only reason why I probably would maybe have gone along with it is because I think equity prices are going to get, I think they're going to continue to go up this right. year. and. The financial cycle drives so much of the business cycle. Okay. So, But let me just pick yeah. up on what you just said. You yeah. said you think equity prices are going to go up this year. Oh, yeah. So you think they're going to end higher than where we are right now? Oh, yeah. Okay, real economy is going to be... Could, could, could go into recession in the third or fourth quarter. And when I say we're going to be higher, I'm not rampantly bullish because I think it'll be a slow grind. So... In this interview, there's actually more to this interview that I, that I watched. 
And what he goes on to say is that the playbook for this is if the Fed does, in fact, pause, this is the playbook. Six months from now, stocks will be up 10%. And six months from now, you can expect the Fed funds rate to be cut 50 to 75 basis points. I would not be upset with that outcome. I wouldn't be upset with it either. But we talked about it a few episodes ago that, you know, when the Fed decides to hold rates, they hold for much longer than six months. Yeah. Uh, but I think there there's a tremendous amount of pressure with the election in November 24. I think that but they the shouldn't Fed- be, They should I, be acting independently. If you want my honest opinion, I think Jerome Powell knew that he'd gone too far in the last interest rate increase. Really? Yeah. You think so? With the, uh, what's been going on in the banking crisis? I, I don't know that the banking crisis in and of itself was enough to convince Jerome Powell that, that he'd gone too far. But I think the, the fact of the matter is, is that they're trying to stick to monetary policy, which has worked historically. And I think there was a palpable amount of concern that the numbers were going the right way. They felt really confident in what was happening, but they mm-hmm. didn't have enough data input to stop. Mm-hmm. And they've told everybody they're going to be data driven, mm-hmm. and because they didn't have a, the data to point to to say, "Hey, we're good. This is why," they kept going because that's the pitch they've made. Okay, but I think deep down inside, he knew. I think the the federal was the, the FOMC knew. Okay, but I think they just, they just don't have a data to, to point to, and they they've said this entire time, mm-hmm. "We're going to be data driven here." Yeah. So maybe maybe that that's as simple as that. But that was just my kind of feeling. They said, but. Jerome Powell said in um, in the minutes of the FOMC uh, meetings, they've mentioned how they need to see it going down on a fast enough trend. And we know, and we know that they know that around this mark that it's at now is when it gets sticky. So maybe they, they wanted to see it get past this hurdle before pausing. Well, I mean, what does that look like? That it goes from... I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, but we, we mentioned that it would need to be somewhere around that 4% mark. Okay, but right, and if their preferred measure is core inflation, they're, they're not getting there. Come on, we know they're not getting there. No, and, and that's why from not. the beginning we said unless home values come down, unless home values come down, because that's a huge component of the entire report. But and I mean, I don't know if we both agreed to it, but I said it from the beginning that they're going to walk away from this two percent target mark, whether they mention it or don't mention it, because I don't think it's possible. I think the the biggest hurdle for them getting there now is they wildly underestimated how overvalued the real estate market is. Yes. And the contributions in rent and rent equivalent being north of 34% on inflation Mm -hmm. is going to be such an anchor for them that Mm -hmm. they will not be able to overcome that to get to their target inflation. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have two choices. And I'd be interested to hear your take on this. Okay. Choice number one, is they do exactly like you suggest. They abandon the 2 to 3% target rate because they just feel like they can't get there in a reasonable amount of certainty. It's to the point where he can never admit doing that, though. They're going to so, walk away saying, okay, inflation's on a downward trend. We see where it's going. It's good enough. We, and we, we, we the FOMC, believe that it will hit its 2% target mark if we just pause here and walk away. Okay, so then option number two. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know that Mr. Powell has come out and outwardly said he is a huge fan of Paul Volcker. Yeah. Paul Volcker is notoriously famous. So we started off the top of the show for causing that double dip recession. Yeah. Do you think he goes back to the well and tries to increase rates again because no. he's trying to get home values? Without saying home values, he's trying to get home values to come down. I don't think so because I think he can still pause and still, you know, 
pay some respect to his boy Volker. So you because, think, you because think... we know that pain comes for the consumer during the holding process. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then if he holds now, we will still likely hit another recession because we believe that Q1, Q2 of 2022 was the first recession. I think this, we'll look back on this and think this is one of the longest recessions we've ever been in. Yeah. And probably I mean, there's some- years, probably. Yeah. There's actually some reports that are coming out this week that are, that are really important that should be very telling. I know uh, tomorrow the U.S. Uh, retail sales report comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be huge because that gives you really good insight into what's going on. I'm not expecting anything sexy from that report. No. I mean, well, so the no- what we saw there the last several times, so in November, December, we saw um, we saw negative readings. And then in January, we saw this wild jump for no reason when that should have been December's reading. So no one really understood why that was the case. But then in February and March, we saw negative readings again. Mm-hmm. I so, expected a similar negative reading this time. Okay, well, that's interesting that you say that because I think the projections are positive reading of 0.8%. Yeah, I think you get, I think you get I, like I, a I, negative I, like five. I think you see, I think you see cons- the consumer pulling back again. 0.5%, seeing, I should yeah, say. Um, I think you see the consumer... Continuing to pull back, and that'll be another big, big report that comes out. I guess what what is consumer spending on right now? Like what what are they vacations maybe, travel and services? We're we're seeing we're seeing and on all those jobs reports that leisure and hospitality every month they're one of the leaders in adding jobs. I know. Travel. I mean, you you were on a plane recently with me on the way back from San Jose. How packed was that plane? The airport everywhere. Yeah, it was it was packed. And we actually had some of our listeners reach out to me and they said, "Look, I know what you guys are saying." about construction but like i literally have three to four months worth of work you know ready to go oh yeah backlog yeah you know and definitely in the single family space Mm -hmm. so i believe it again we never said that it stopped i don't think it stopped but it's interesting because we know that sector is so sensitive to interest rates well historically but keep in mind builders when they got hit with the great recession Mm -hmm. they started building up a war chest of of cash right and then the then the the COVID recession hit. Mm-hmm. Then they started, there was this pent up demand and they all went out 18 to 24 months. So a lot of those projects are coming online now. So even though they have a backlog of three to four months, yeah, that doesn't give me a great deal of confidence. Because again, like we've said before, what we're seeing right now is a liquidity pullback from banks, although it's being labeled wrongly as a credit crunch. Right. What comes next is a credit crunch. But I can tell you that most banks are not willing to deploy capital into speculative construction deals right now. No, no. They, they, if they're going to go in, they're going to go in with a really strong credit profile and while a lot of the builders are, are going to meet that criteria right you're not going to see anywhere near the money going out for riskier type investments in construction whether they like it or not as a riskier type of asset class as far as investments go yep so i, I think you, you're going to see a pullback there regardless mm-hmm. again i just don't think we're there yet so this whole like oh we're in a credit cr- we're not in a credit crunch we're in a liquidity pullback and what comes next will be a credit crunch and that's when you start seeing the impact but you don't start seeing that as a consumer in the market, in the landscape, right. for about 12 to 18 months afterward. Because keep in mind, there's still a steady pipeline of construction projects coming coming online. Right. Being pushed to completion, finished, and brought to market. Right. So then what happens? They come to market. They'll start to go down. The construction project pipeline starts to dry up a little bit. Okay. And then the consumer and the news cycle and everybody picks up on it. Okay. So then why do you think confidence in Jerome Powell's plunging right now to a record low? Well, uh, I believe the technical term is Jerome Powell Powell has been kind of an asshole. Um, (laughs) But if if he's saying that his his favorite mentor is Paul Volcker, who caused two recessions, right? And if he's able to cause a recession that we all anticipate that's going to happen, but unemployment 
somehow remains low mm-hmm. and we come out of this on the other side, yes, obviously it's- Unemployment will not remain low. What, the, the, Do not buy into that, that shtick. No, but low, what's low? We consider healthy under 5%. Yeah, it, it will not, I think unemployment will probably be closer to 7%. Yeah, because it peaks after the recession is declared yep. over. Yeah, correct. Right. Um, so yeah. let, let me let me be honest, okay? Uh, Jerome Powell is not a bad human being. He's a very, very smart guy. But I think that the Fed has made some very visible mistakes. And instead of owning them yeah. and humanizing himself a little bit, he has taken a much more, I think, political or democratic, not in the Republican Democrat sense, but in more of a, he, he's just trying to present himself in a way where he almost sidesteps the Fed's omissions here. I think he's very careful and calculated in what he's saying because he knows everyone is everyone is hanging Which on is fine. every last word but that, that he says. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't take ownership of the fact that we got here mm-hmm. By the Fed acting too late, a hundred percent. There's no reason why I don't. I, I personally didn't think that you know Silicon, Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic Bank. I mean, they were well-run organizations. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't deserve you know any of this. But there are very different reasons why they, why they failed. Silicon Absolutely. Valley Bank had a lot of speculative investments, mm-hmm. a lot of exposure to tech, a lot of concentration, they had concentration, right? which wasn't good. Okay. Mm-hmm. I look at First Republic Bank and I think to myself, that's not what happened there. Mm-hmm. They chose a low margin business. They chose to make loans at lower dollar amounts for high net worth individuals and give out higher interest rates on deposits for high net worth individuals because they had a lot of deposits they would bring there. Absolutely. Right? They chose to make less money and invest in, in credit they didn't think were, was anywhere near as risky. Right. So they chose to have strong credit and low returns and trusted that the Fed would never stress them beyond their own stress predictions. Right. And I, you can't blame a guy like Michael Berry, you know, willing to pick up some stock, some no. stock of theirs because, because all signs, yeah. and all signs pointed to, listen, everyone and their mom is not going to let this bank fail. What, look what everyone did to make sure that, or at least attempt to make sure that they weren't going to fail. So right? again, we, look, we talked about it on the previous show, right? You look at the fundamentals, you look at their income, income statement, yeah. you look at their balance sheet. Don't people forget, First Republic, Beat their earnings expectation. That's the crazy part. They beat their earnings expectation and still traded like 60% lower that day mm-hmm. because of the deposit outflow. And then this whole fear kicked in. And got, granted, there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes that we're, we're never going to probably have full vision into. But mm-hmm. they beat. So the income statement was strong. The balance sheet was probably getting weaker. But it, they didn't trade down based on their fundamentals. They traded down based on the perception that they were going to fail, not in the fact that there was things that they were doing wrong that would lead them to failure. Right. And then as more and more of that started to spin around, more people pulled their money out, mm-hmm. causing more and more stress on the organization, which ultimately led to about $100 billion in loans, in, in this case, deposits made to them. Insane, so man. look, but here's my problem with Jerome Powell. It, 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 I respect immensely the job he has sucks oh, and yeah. that it's difficult. Yeah. And that even if he handled it with grace and dignity and all these amazing things, people are going to criticize him mm-hmm. anyway. But I don't understand why, if you're so focused on being communicative, mm-hmm. more communicative than any Fed had in history prior to this, right? Right. Why wouldn't you come out and say, hey, you know, we acted a little bit too late because we were concerned we were going through an unprecedented pandemic. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to pull the trigger too soon and damage the consumer. So we waited and we're 
a little bit more vigilant as what was happening mm -hmm. because it was unprecedented before. And we knew the stress that was on small businesses. We knew the stress that was on the consumer. We knew the stress that was on the economy. Right. So we waited. In retrospect, that probably wasn't a good idea. But we decided that in an unprecedented time, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't have a history book to look at for this. We wanted to wait and see. And maybe we, we waited too long. We probably waited too long. That's why we feel the need to do this in an expedited fashion in a year and at least be open with the with the public on that. Absolutely. And the fact that this is like this big, you know, great giant white elephant in the room that no one's ever talking about is the same question I've asked over and over again on the show. Why are we doing this in a, in a single year? Why did we have to do it at this cadence? It's not just it's not just him, though. Right. It's uh, what and I think uh, Paul Tudor. Is that how you say his name? Paul Tudor Jones. Paul Tudor Jones. What what he went on to say later in that interview was like it's there's bad monetary policy that happened, which is monetary policy mm -hmm. controlled by the by the Fed, but also bad fiscal policy. What 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 did the government do leading oh. up? So it's it's a it's a combination of both that's not getting enough attention right now. And that's why it's totally unfair for Jerome Powell to have the approval rating that he has. Exactly. It's totally unfair because he has been undermined every fucking step of the way. Yep. By fiscal policy. Yep. By the government spending and the government's behavior. Yep. I mean, look at the rhetoric in the news right now. It's all about, oh my God, are they going to, is the debt ceiling going to happen? What's going to happen to the debt ceiling? Oh my God, the it's going to, debt payments, oh my God, what are you going to do? Oh my God. And yeah, it's yeah. like, why are we freaking out? <laughs> yeah. Like the 78 of the last 78 times, man. Yeah. Over hundreds of years. They raised it. Yep. So let this from Bloomberg Business. Public confidence in Jerome Powell's leadership of the Federal Reserve has dropped precipitously, according to a new survey, and is now at or below his predecessors at the central banks as the central bank wages its war against inflation. A Gallup poll released Tuesday shows 36% of U.S. adults say they have a great deal or a fair amount of confidence that the Federal Reserve Chairman would do or recommend the right thing for the economy. That's lower than Janet Yellen's 37% during her first year leading the Fed in 2014, mm -hmm. though the difference is within the survey's margin of error for plus or minus 4% percentage points. Right. And is the lowest record since Gallup began tracking public confidence in the central banking chief uh, since 2001. Former Chairman Ben Bernanke's lowest point came in in 2012 at 39%. Mm -hmm. This is a little reference point there. So I do think he's pretty gonna, low. He's going to do what's right for the economy, and and this is part of his job. Okay, he's going to decide to hold rates or cut rates when we're on the brink of a recession, or if there is a significant crisis in one of the financial markets. And he can go on and say whatever the hell he wants about the banking sector being sound and resilient. It ain't, okay? And he knows it's not because I think the the deposit insurance fund only has initially, I think of December last year, had $120 billion. They've already spent 30 or $40 billion. Arun, hold right there. I want to read some of those comments. Right? They've already spent 30 or $40 billion. How many more banks could you allow to fail? It's it, That's a significant crisis, dude. So there's three steps to a Fed pivot, right? You have stage one, is during you know the raise of the rates. Stage two is when they hold, and stage three of the pivot is when they finally start to cut. Mm -hmm. So if June hits, we're finally in stage two. So if you want to look at something on the bright side, okay, we've now cleared stage one, we've now hit stage two, and it's only a matter of time until we hit stage three. 
Look at you providing little rainbows and unicorns. Trying, man. We out here. Lollipops and gumdrops. Come on now. What were some God of these damn. comments? These comments are actually not what you think. Okay. All right. So because the average person knows so much about the economy, he is doing an excellent job. He is not responsible for how the banks are operating. They had as much notice as the rest of us to pivot and move. So let's pause right there. Mm. I see stuff like that. And I think to myself, okay, so not only do you, like, I don't mind you defending Powell. Fine. But you clearly know jack shit about the banks. <laughs> I'll say, okay? well, can you get there quicker? Not only are you stupid, yeah. but yeah. So tell me you're a fucking moron without telling me you're a fucking moron. But, <laughs> 132 but, likes. All you guys are morons too. Yeah. Well, first of all, so the banks had as much time to as notice as the rest of us to pivot and move. Yeah. I don't know if you know this. Wealth fi uh, Financial fa Flowers. About to catch some strays. Okay. I don't know if you know this. Wealth Financial Flowers LLC, your company. But let me explain something to you, okay? Mm -hmm. You pivoting your $100,000 company and me pivoting a multi-billion dollar balance sheet, right? which by the way, has a lot more rate sensitivity than you do. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. In a single year, my borrowing costs go up every single time the Fed interest rate increases their right. rate directly. Not to mention- You are indirectly impacted by this and you want us to react to an unprecedented thing. And by the way, they had as much notice as the rest of us. No, asshole. Your notice is what's happening to the banks and your impact is what comes next. Right, exactly. Not to mention these assholes that are given the credibility to write these articles online and just trash a bank that have no knowledge base- No knowledge base. Of what's going on. It's sexy. Yeah, exactly. It's news. Hey, they got, they got the click though. They got the click. That's all they want. That's all they care for. I want you to click me hard. Click it. <laughs> That's what it happens. So let's read some more. Most people have no idea who he is. If asked people I know about Jerome Powell, they would be like that brother from the hood. <laughs> <laughs> That's a comment. Is that wrong? Hey, is that wrong? That's the, <laughs> not wrong. Jerome, hey, Jerome Powell, that brother from the hood, right? <laughs> yeah, I know him. Oh, JP? Yeah. Oh, you know, you heard what happened to JP? Yeah, I heard he, you know, blew something up and then like race is <laughs> rate of something with a crime, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's go back up. Uh the next comment, Jerome Powell has done an excellent job. Fair comment. Who could do it better though? Great comment. That's a valid question. Facts. Yeah. R.I.P. Mean me wow. I don't know. Whatever. Let's go to the next uh, the next one. You're in the sub subtopic. There you go. I would reckon the average U.S. adult is ignorant of the complexity of macroeconomics in the U.S. financial sector. Mm -hmm. Seems a little negative. Let's see where he goes with this. Powell has done a resounding job since taking his the role. Pre-COVID, Powell sought to undo the damage of ZERP and QE. Quantitative easing. Uh, of the Bernanke era. Okay, facts. True. Mm-hmm. The Fed, under its pressure, did its part to keep the economy afloat during the pandemic. Mm, I would say possibly, depending on your interpretation. Not, not a bad comment. And now the Fed is pulling the, its levers to cool inflation and an overheated economy. Mm. Don't blindly criticize what you do not understand. Yeah, that's fair. Fair comments. Fair comment. I mean, what, what are they saying? What do they do during the pandemic? The fact that, you, that that would be insinuating that he knew that he had to raise rates, but he didn't. Yeah. Look, because he thought he thought inflation was. He's not a dumb man. No. Oh wait, here's another one. I like. Uh, let's go with Zubvik. Or the next one there. The only people who voted was Wall Street. Obvious. What? Obviously, they don't like him. Their cost to do business is high. Oh, the only people who voted that, that they didn't like him is Wall Street. Oh. If Middle America understood we need to keep interest rates high to lower inflation, they will agree. At least the educated ones, the lesser of two evils. 
Okay, but I would also argue, did you need to do it this high? Arun highlighted a quote here. Because most people don't know the first thing about economics, Powell is answering to Congress's spending sprees and stimulus checks. Powell is easily the most impressive chair in the past two decades. Look at So look, every comment we've read so far, and again, like Milton Friedman's classic financial modeling, right? Mm-hmm. If left to their own, generally small business and consumers will do the right thing. Here in a public forum, Right. On Instagram, where I get all of my really relevant news. Digestible news. Click me, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, guy is taking down more regional banks than Ben Affleck in the town. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one of those. Yeah. Um, but look, the, the, the overall rhetoric is resoundingly positive in favor of him, despite this, there was a Gallup poll and mm. he's negative. Right. I think anybody who sees the stress in the economy who's going to get votes it, you know whether they like them or not yeah would generally get negative votes because people feel like negativity needs to be placed on somebody right so but that isn't the reason why that i hate cash car cash car is a piece of shit that's just yeah. a different conversation yeah. <laughs> if you yeah but if you think his uh approval rating is low now i mean wait till you see the months to come when he decides to hold the rates for the rest of the year yeah you never know it might go up man it seems like the general public thinks he's like, by q4 2023 he'll be a hero there you go see by q4 2023 yeah it's six months. Yeah, maybe, that's, maybe, maybe that's, like that's a little that's a little optimistic. Maybe Q four twenty twenty five. That yeah. <laughs> there you go. None of the former chairmen served Look, after a world pandemic. I'm pretty Valid sure. Point. I'm pretty sure Volker wasn't celebrated during those two years. I celebrate the shit out of Volker. No, now. Yeah, I love his rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like his price tag in his book. Yeah. Okay, so according to Reuters, U.S. bank deposits rise in early May, lending little unchanged at record high. Good, that's a good sign. Is it though? Is it not though? I don't know. Innuendo. 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 Not my endo. U O E N O. Deposits climbed to 17.16 trillion in the week ending May 3rd, up about $67 billion to mark the first increase in four weeks. The Fed's weekly snapshot of the banking system's assets and liabilities showed. Deposits, which had dropped substantially after the collapse in March of Silicon Valley Bank, rose at both large and small banks. Thank God. That's a positive sign, brother. Yeah. Total bank credit was little changed at $17.37 trillion, while loans and leases for U.S. households and businesses held at a record high of $12.12 trillion, that is, mm-hmm. although annual loan growth is now the slowest in about a year. So not only is, slow, is, is the loan growth the slowest in about a year, but balances have stayed about the same, mm-hmm. which speaks to our theory. This is not a credit crunch. This is just banks are afraid to deploy capital. Yeah, right now. Because, well, not just afraid. It doesn't make sense for them to. Also, doesn't make dollars. Doesn't no. make sense. Little, little, little cliche. <laughs> I, that was I was going to be perfect. the nice guy and be like, "Yeah, you're right." But don't make dollars. <laughs> don't make sense. Put that in the headline. That's the show name. Let's go. We <laughs> 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 oh, had way too know, much caffeine tonight. <laughs> you know, you know, some asshole has a TikTok that said, who said that, and they're like, "Yeah, that was the best shit I made all year." You say, "You see what I did?" Bars. <laughs> <laughs> you, you gotta explain bars to people who are not alcoholics. Come on, man. If you don't know, you know, Urban Dictionary. We covered Urban Dictionary last time. Go ahead and look it up. <laughs> we probably send a shit ton of people to Urban Dictionary on a yeah. daily basis. <laughs> yeah, like, no, what the fuck is docking? <laughs> Let's see, docking, bars, 
high key, low key. We're not gonna. Can you low key doc? We're not gonna get. We're- <laughs> Oh, shit. Oh, oh my God. So he dropped his phone and pushed the mic out the way. <laughs> Hikey. Bars. Yeah, here we go. What is this? Sentences in lyrical hip-hop songs. Mm-hmm. Sentences that rhyme with each other. 300 bars is 300 sentences that rhyme. Yeah, but that's not how, that's not how the kids use it. So usually when someone says something that sounds catchy or makes a lot of sense or has has a hidden meaning and you have to decode it you're like ooh bars so you're telling me that your cunning linguistic skills are so up to date with what the youth yeah. feel like in america <laughs> that, that you know more than urban dictionary knows about urban dictionary to have wait go up right go up right here yeah perfect thank you odin to have skills at originates from bars representing levels in video games no that ain't right See, you don't even know your own definition. To now. be good at something, you're out of touch, bro. Yeah, to be good at something, that's good. Let's you can't, you can't keep say it simple. to be good at something. Said is bars. Said's got bars. So you got good at something? Yeah, I think so. Could you use it in a sentence, please. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time Urban Dictionary has failed us. It really did fail us. Uh, the, a yeah, bit. the examples were a little weak. Yeah, Urban Dictionary is written by you, not <laughs> by me, kids. Not by me. Right. All right, let's go on to the next article because at this point in time, we're getting off topic again. Mm. You want to go, uh, let's, we're, about, we're crossing the hour mark right now. You want to go uh, rapid fire sesh? Yeah, let's do it. Bang, bang, all bang, the way through? Uchi Wally Wally. All right, pace yourself, take a deep breath. You got this, yeah. Chief? That's a lot of reading for you. That's a lot of reading, but this one's important, so we're going to hit you the highlights. You're not going to get a lot of um, digesting with this one. We're just going to go right into it, okay? Yeah. So look me in the eye sockets while I'm saying this to you on YouTube, for those of you driving. Come along with me, kids. Investors lost money on roughly one in every seven, 13.5% approximately, homes they sold in March, according to a new report by Redfin. In Mm. comparison, only 4.8% of overall U.S. homes that sold in March sold at a loss. This from an article from MoneyWise titled, U.S. real estate investors are losing money on roughly one in seven homes they sell, among the worst since 2016, and... They're most likely to take a hit in these five cities. Yeah, that that whole thing was a title. Crazy. Mm -hmm. That followed a dire month in February when real estate investors lost money on 14.5% of homes sold, the highest rate since 2016, and a long stretch from the record monthly low of 2.8% in May of 2022. In March, the hardest hit market was... Phoenix, Arizona, where 30.7% of homes sold by investors lost money. Mm -hmm. Phoenix was followed by Las Vegas, Nevada at 28%, Jacksonville, Florida at 20.9%, Sacramento, California at 20.2%, and Charlotte, North Carolina at 17.4%. That sounds pretty spread out. All five of these were massive pandemic boom cities. Right. And you can, why do you think, what do you think is the number one reason why, you know, they're experiencing some losses? Do you think it's the carrying costs on the loans? And they had their force to sell. I think a lot of them were go- so the huge like trend, if you will, on social media and and really it's it's actually permeating like traditional media, which is really pissing me off. Is like the whole you can buy with no money down, blah blah blah. So people are teaching other people who are not sophisticated investors to buy using hard money loans that are really expensive. 
above so, market rates. So what is a hard money loan? So if you go to like a traditional bank or lender, a normal loan would be you go get a loan and they give you a normal, call it relative market rate. And I'm watering this down a little right bit. Right now you're looking at what, 6.3%, 6.4%? Yeah, that would, that would probably be normal rate. A hard money loan is a lender of last resort, if you will, or somebody who's willing to take on additional risk than a, a more conservative bank would take on. Mm-hmm. And they'll give you a loan. Sometimes they'll give you a loan up to 100% of the home's value. But the trade-off for that is they get paid quite a bit more. So, And some can, some people view it as predatory lending too. It can be very extremely predatory. So a lot of times these people, so when you go to these, these social media courses and they give you their, ooh, their secrets. Yeah. The secret. Yeah. The secrets are often you need an LLC. So go form an, a limited liability company because these hard money lenders are not going to make a loan to a consumer because Whoa. they don't want to be predatory. We just saved you money from go, having to go to a seminar. Yeah, you don't have to go to a seminar. Congratulations. Yeah, you're welcome. Hashtag bless. Now go leave us an honest five-star review. Bars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was waiting to get that in the whole time. <laughs> you're like, well, what am I going to say, a bar? <laughs> All right. So rapid fire sesh continues a problem for the housing market. People won't quit their cheap mortgages. Fewer homes are available because homeowners are hanging on to coveted rates of three or four percent. This from the Washington Post, a quote from the article, Mm -hmm. at the end of 2022, 62% of mortgage holders had a rate below 4% and 82% had a rate below 5%, according to Redfin. Once again, Redfin dropping knowledge out here in these streets, data. Right. A whopping 92% had a rate below 6%. And Arun, if you could bless us with a chart, brother, Mm. it looks like a pretty ocean, doesn't it? It's very oceanic. Feels like something from Minecraft. It does have a little Minecrafty, little notchy vibe there. But the point is, if you go back to 2014, rates were generally a whole hell of a lot higher on average. Mm-hmm. And then in 2020, boom, below three percent became a thing. Right, three to four percent became a much bigger thing, and four to five percent and five to six percent got came way way down. But the the other thing you need to notice here mm-hmm. is overall borrowing in aggregate is still much higher than it was in 2014. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, back to our consumer debt now exceeding $17 trillion. Um, there's another sign is that balances on home equity lines of credit increased $3 billion at the start of the year, rising for the fourth straight quarter after declining for nearly 13 years. That's a problem, kids. That's a little problem. So, yeah, yeah. people aren't. So credit card debt remains stagnant. Okay. We already broke down why. That shouldn't have been the case. But okay, let's say you look at that look at that as a positive thing. Home equity lines of credits are going up. A lot of banks won't even give you a home equity line of credit now. I that, remember- the sad part is not only are those balances going up, <laughs> but banks are saying we're not going to give you any more. We're not making new loans. So like my, a friend of mine mm-hmm. called me up and was like, hey, um, where can I get a home equity line of credit from? And I'm like, well, who's your first loan with? He goes, well, it's Fargo. And I go, uh, you got a problem. Yeah, they're and, not going to do it for you. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well- Typically speaking, most banks are not going to make a home equity line of credit or a second trustee loan behind somebody else's first trustee, depending if you live in a trustee state or a mortgage state. But yeah. Right. Um, and Wells Fargo, who had his first trustee, aren't making any new HELOCs at all. Right. So he's just straight ass out of luck. Right. Which he's... is a technical term, by the way. Yeah. Ass, ass out of luck. Ass out of luck. Yeah. And a lot of people, I know sometimes uh, you won't be getting them now anytime soon, but what the, how people, I was actually talking to a coworker today about it. And I guess um, customers are calling in at um, at institutions and asking like, hey, so uh, I think I, um, I I have a HELOC that I like draws. Like, oh, no, that was only for 10 years. It's not 
it doesn't last forever. Yeah, yeah. Ten years, you're out. Yeah. Yahtzee. Also soft. But the way the way they were selling it and pitching it for the last like decade was you should you should apply for this, keep the balance zero, and use it in case of an emergency. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. the way it was being sold for the longest time. And I have a feeling that you're gonna see a lot of people I remember, dude. Get I pimp slapped by the lender saying, Yeah, we're not gonna renew that, so figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Say goodbye to your three percent first trustee right, kids. Yeah, bank's gonna call and be like, Hey, um, customer. Like to play games? There's a game I like to play. Fuck around and find out. You want to see if I renew this bitch? That's why you're not a nice person. <laughs> That's some shit a villain would say. Of course you would think of that. <laughs> That's your mm-hmm. favorite game. You Bars. Told, you told me <laughs> that was your favorite game to play. Yeah, I did tell you that. So I included this next article solely because I love you and this is my gift to you. I wanted to take you to a romantic place that I know that you really like to close your eyes and envision. So the title of this lovely article from Bloomberg Business, once again, Tales from the Crypto Winter. What happens when the prophecy of blockchain fails? Question mark. Mm. Fails. <laughs> so there's, there's a whole video. We're not going to play that. But what, what we should do is I should give you a nice little two and a half paragraph taste. I, no, a little longer, actually. Shit, it's longer than that. Uh, yeah, okay, a little longer. So Christopher Beam was caught up in the crypto fever in 2021 at the urging of a friend. Was it a friend, Christopher? It was the fervor, not the fever. The fr- what? Fervor. Okay. You're going to be that guy now? <laughs> hey. Did I'm- fervor or fever make a fucking difference <laughs> in the paragraph? For me. Did anybody listen to this shit go, oh my God, did he mean fervor? <laughs> you piece of shit. You want to big league me, huh? Okay. I just want to make sure we read it correctly. I'm about to throw a shoe at you. This is from Bloomberg Business. I just started subscribing to Bloomberg. Yeah, it you cost me. It cost me $150. For the listeners who don't know, Chris goes out of his way to, <laughs> to use his corporate Bloomberg account <laughs> and post articles in our show notes to help me prepare for the show. Little, little as you know, I don't have a Bloomberg account. No, I do that on purpose. <laughs> so whenever you see, whenever you hear Saeed go, Duh, yeah, what he said. That's because I posted <laughs> something that he couldn't read about. <laughs> so you cost me $150 today, sir. It's okay. I'm going to so, switch to the Wall Street Journal next. <laughs> I got I got the Wall Street Journal. I already got the Wall Street Journal. Oh, okay. A dollar a week. I'll find something you don't have. Don't worry. Yeah. It'd be like the Dallas Morning News or some shit like that, but I'll get you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After doing my own research, i.e. half listening to a few podcasts set at two times speed, he writes for Business Week. Uh, I decided to buy some. So you listen to a couple podcasts on two times speed and you're like, you know what? Yeah, now's the time to buy. Makes sense. Buy now. (laughs) (laughs) The crypto winner has yet to thaw. How are its uh, various tribes coping? Wait a minute. Can you try again? Yeah, you you, you moved down the paragraph. No, I did not. Can you scroll back up so I can see where I was supposed to be starting here? It's right there. There we go. After a series of cascading implosions caused, caused, God damn it, he's fucked me up. After a series of cascading implosions caused the value of crypto to plummet last year, he had a very different conversation with the friend. Quote, let me issue a blanket apology here. It was the blind leading the blind. Thank God. Not the colorblind leading the colorblind. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. Dude, 8% of all people are colorblind. I'm not, I'm not like. Do you get a special parking spot for that? (laughs) I should. Honestly, yeah. is it like gray? I should have my own lane because you can't trust me to be reading these street lights. I don't like the idea that the only way you can tell if you stop at a light is if the top light is on and the bottom light is on. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> or middle. There's also a middle yeah. light. You never drive me anywhere for the record. <laughs> never. I'm a very safe driver. Yeah, you have to be when you're blind. Okay, Color blind. Extra slow. <laughs> Extra slow. Yeah. That's why I got the Jeep. But anyways, the crypto, <laughs> the crypto winner has yet to thaw. 
How are its various tribes coping? Tap the link in the bio. That's what it says. So essentially, there's this whole script that Arun pulled up. And if you would like to read it, I think it's hilarious. Okay, let's go. A lot of people who got caught up in crypto have experienced not just a financial loss, but a kind of financial grief, a tangle of guilt. When you throw your money away and light it on fire, this is what happens. Right. Second guessing and that awful feeling of having fallen for something. For many, crypto had become an identity, a way to feel smart and subversive and on the cutting edge of new technology. What happens to that self-image when its foundation erodes? So effectively, that was a really fancy way of saying, what happens when you play? Fuck around and find out. <laughs> yeah. What happens when you trust somebody you shouldn't trust? Well, the next sentence, Said. It's either going to zero or it's going to be the successor to the U.S. dollar. That uh, also sounds like most cults say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, Either man. the aliens are coming down or we're going to die. Either way. Right. We're going to rise. The words of Plan B, a Dutch institutional investor turned Bitcoin analyst, captured the attitude amongst some of crypto's double downers. Others keeping the faith describe the crash as a purge that proves crypto must return to its roots. Academics say this type of thinking is consistent with the psychology of both trading and gambling. Uh, yeah, that's something I want to do. If you have to go by an alias called Plan B, mm -hmm. I would not think that you're probably somebody I want to listen to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Plan B. You're named after a contraceptive. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> I can't believe people bought this shit. I mean, look, it, it, it took a big man of Chamath to admit that, nah, man, this shit, it's not, it's not happening. Get out. And I think that if you, if you can't see the, the writing on the wall like that, I mean, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, it's also a billionaire who dipped his toe in the pond and said, you know what? Mm, not good. So, I mean, he's got a lot more financial yeah, But he was very strong in his opinion about, you know, he was very bullish if you will. Yeah. At the time, it was easy to buy in. Mm -hmm. I get it. I, should I, I went on the path of trying to understand all this and, and trying to get in and looked at NFTs and I did all that. Mm -hmm. But there's a point where you just like, it got comical. Yeah. So let's finish this off here with the last couple. I think you'll find these interesting. Francis Coppola, who- And I really want to hear you say the middle sentence. So take your time. <laughs> Francis Coppola, who was uh, cited in the court case against Terra USD's Du Quan. Du Quan. Du Quan is part of the community of skeptics who have long pushed back against crypto boosters. Quote, we did take a lot of abuse from the have fun staying poor crowd, she says. All right, here you go, everybody. This is the reason that I fumbled the bag reading this, so Saeed would have to read this. Give Easy. it to me. Schadenfreude is the right term. That actually wasn't bad. Fucking Fuck. nailed God that. damn it. Yeah. There was a handful of us before screaming into the abyss, says Amy Kasser, another prominent crypto critic. Now, there's a lot more. It's very funny to look back and think, were we all just drunk or something? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It, I mean, you got to be a billionaire to look back at all this and be like, oh, I lost some money. Fuck it. That shit was funny, wasn't it? Yeah, I got a board ape, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got this cool board ape. Look at this. You could have got that shit off of Venice. Go, go, go down to Venice Beach. Somebody will draw that shit for you. Across Twitter and Telegram and Discord communities, sprang up to discuss beloved assets, share memes, and trash competitors. This was particularly true of NFTs. Their disillusion has left scars, some of them literal. Emma Crudington, 
got the logo of a hot NFT tattooed on her arm on a whim. She's <laughs> she's still involved in another NFT project, spending hours each week talking to other owners. She knows such communities can be ex what is it Explo exploitative, but it says it's different. There's no ulterior motive behind it. See, reading is fundamental. Yeah, fucked up on the last sentence. Yep, it's okay. That's how we're gonna end the show too. Yeah, we're gonna end. <laughs> Although I have a new name for NFTs. <laughs> what what does it? it stand for? Non fungible token. Yeah. Hmm. Get any idea what that really means now? I, I bet you do. Not fucking tangible. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah. Thank you. I'm here all week, kids. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.